Who's God? Hebrew WrestleMania, deconstructing Jacob's championship fight with his God in Genesis 32. Deconstructing the past to help you make sense of today. Time for another award-winning episode of Pre-Nicene Perspective with your host, Darren Kalama. For our first edition of the Who's God series, we selected Genesis chapter 32 verses 22 through 32. You may know it as the story of the Hebrew character Jacob wrestling with his God and winning the match. It's a story that neatly encapsulates and captures the essence of self-worshipping Jewish culture and demonstrates the intractable problems of stapling two different religions together. And like with almost all of the stories found in the Torah, or as it's referred to now, the Old Testament, the Jacob WrestleMania story has its roots in ancient, much older pagan and Greek mythology, rewritten and recast from the Hebrew angle, but with its plot found in the Greek mythology story of Antaeus. Now, Antaeus was the son of the gods Poseidon and Gia, one of the gigantes in Greek mythology. He drew strength from his mother, Earth, and was invincible while he was in contact with her. He would challenge people who passed by his area to wrestling matches in which he always won and killed them in the end. Now, with that backdrop, let's read Genesis 32. Quote, During the night, Jacob arose, took his two wives, his two female slaves, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of the Jabbok. He took them, crossed over the brook, and carried over all of his possessions. So Jacob remained alone, and a man wrestled with him until the dawn. Seeing that he could not beat him, the man struck Jacob at the hip joint. Jacob's hip joint became dislocated while he continued to fight with him. The man said, Let me go, because it is dawn. Jacob answered, I will not let go of you until you have blessed me. The man said, What is your name? He answered, Jacob. The man then said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have wrestled with God and with man and have won. Jacob said to him, Give me your name. He answered, Why are you asking my name? And then he blessed him. Jacob called the place Peniel, because he said, I have seen God face to face, and I am still alive. The sun rose, and Jacob left Penuel limping. Now, this could easily be dismissed as grade school plagiarism written by a group of incredibly self-absorbed and self-worshipping tribes, except for one small problem. This story has been presented as the literal word of God, and along with other Hebrew tales, was stapled onto the Christian Bible in the 4th century at the Council of Nicaea and called the Old Testament. And you, as a Judeo-Christian that adheres to what's contained in this Judeo-Christian Bible, are obligated to treat this story as not only true, but as the Word of God and be willing to die for it. But before you allow yourself to be burned at the stake over this, let's briefly deconstruct this fairy tale and see if you feel the same way in a few minutes. Now, the first thing we notice in the very first sentence is that 
Jacob has not one, but two wives. In fact, he also has two female slaves. Are these sex slaves? Perhaps spare wives? Maybe they just help cook and clean. We really don't know. But what we do know is that he has two wives. And even in the Judeo-Christian Bible that you're familiar with, what does Jesus say about wives and marriage? Let's see. Quote, For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and will live with his wife. The two will become one. So they are no longer two, but one. Let no man divide what God has put together. Unquote. It's oil and water. Already we see we're talking about two different religions and gods, and we're not even through the first sentence yet. And remember, this story has Jacob meeting God in person, but God, for some reason, never mentions the two wives. Perhaps this God was too focused on the upcoming wrestling match to say something. Which brings us to the next problem. Jacob is not only seeing and meeting God face to face, it's so personal, he's going to have a wrestling match with him. And again, what does even the Judeo-Christian Bible say about seeing or meeting God? Well, let's take a look at John 1.18. Quote, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Unquote. Now, for those with learning disabilities or who suffer from Hebrew-itis, let's read that again. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God. No one has ever seen God. Now, is it really necessary for the apostles to also point out that nobody has done a wrestlemania with God? And it's not just the Jacob incident. The alien Hebrew Torah is filled to the gills with stories of their tribe meeting and having in-person chit-chat sessions with their God. Genesis 17.1, Genesis 32.30, Genesis 35.9, 1 Kings, 1 Samuel, 2 Chronicles. It's one sewing circle after another with these people and their deity. Again, we have a complete contradiction with God as revealed to us only through Christ. Oil and water. Now, this isn't a matter of teachings and lessons being refined over time. This is polar opposites and intractable contradictions. And it's exactly what you expect when you staple two different religions together. It's exactly the same set of problems and contradictions you would have if, instead of the Torah, you stapled the Koran to the front of the New Testament. You see, stapling two different religions together simply doesn't work, and the end result will always be confusion and cognitive dissonance. You'll spend a lifetime trying to make the square peg fit into the round hole. You will become, at the end of the day, a Judeo-Christian, meaning neither fully a Jew nor fully a Christian. Instead, a theological Frankenstein with bits of both sewn and stapled together. The biblical equivalent of today's tranny. Now, in the next sentence, we learn that Jacob is such a skilled wrestler that God has to use a dirty move to dislocate his hip. And then this God, still unable to defeat him, says to Jacob, let me go because it is dawn. 
Now, Jacob and his God then have a protracted negotiating session in which Jacob tries to cut a deal for a blessing, and his God answers his question with another question and then refuses to tell him his name. Now, where have we seen this movie before? Who writes this stuff? Now, sometimes the easiest way to cut through the haze is ask yourself, is this something Jesus would ever do or say? And in this Hebrew WrestleMania fairy tale, we can flatly say no. Which brings us to the next question. If this isn't the God revealed to us as we know only through Christ, which God is he? Or maybe it's not a God at all. Now, our choices are more limited than you might think when we view this through the spectrum of monotheism, the belief shared by all Christians that there is only one God. Now, that means Jacob's WrestleMania opponent boils down to only two possibilities. Either this Hebrew deity is simply the convenient creation of the imaginations of a very self-absorbed and self-worshipping uber race of egomaniacs, or this deity is real. And because we know the Hebrew deity isn't Jesus, our Christian God, that leaves only one other option. The only other deity that all Christian denominations agree that exists. And that would, of course, be the opposite of God, the adversus Christus personified. And that, of course, is Satan. Now, this episode isn't dedicated to arguing that possibility. If it was, we'd be using quotes from the Hebrew Torah in which their deity, either imagined or in the form of Satan, orders them to kill women and children numerous times. It wouldn't be very hard to make that case at all. In fact, I could do it between bites of breakfast. But let's stick to our Jacob story and the deity that he was wrestling. First, we notice the event takes place at night, in the dark. The deity refuses to give its name, and it has to ask Jacob what his name is. And as the light of day approaches, it becomes scared and nervous, begging Jacob to let it go with the words, Let me go because it is dawn. Now, who does that sound like to you, Jesus or Satan? You still think the story is the word of our Christian God? Now, for those of you watching on FBN TV or YouTube, you're going to see some slides from an article in the Times of Israel from a couple years ago that asked this exact same question after reviewing the Jacob WrestleMania story as we read it in Genesis 32. The Times of Israel article is titled, Did Jacob Wrestle God, an Angel of God, Satan, or One of His Angels? And by the way, I find it interesting that they refer to Satan as having angels, because as a Christian, I prefer the term demons. But I guess they kind of look at things a little bit differently over there at the Times of Israel. In any event, they deconstructed the story in a similar way that we did, and at the very end, they came to the following conclusion, and I quote, Considering all this, I think it is most likely that Jacob fought the enemy of mankind, Satan. Unquote. 
Wow, that's quite the conclusion. Would John Hagee or Joel Osteen or Rick Wiles from True News or any of the other Judaizer TV preachers like to take a moment and explain that to us? Here we have the Jews from a Jewish newspaper based in Israel telling you that the deity of the Old Testament is Satan. And there's many more admitting the same thing. It's not just Darren Kalama from the tiny FBN network saying it. Now, as you listen to the sounds of crickets and silver coins dropping from the Judaizers, let that sink in. And let it sink in as you read 1 Thessalonians 2.15, describe the, quote, Judeans who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all mankind, unquote. And by the way, it's interesting, is it not, that Paul the Apostle says their own prophets, not our prophets. In any event, if any of this is new to you, it's understandable that it might seem like it's a bit much, a little jarring. And yet, this was the belief of millions of the first Christians in the 2nd, 3rd, and most of the 4th centuries. And the first Christian Bible, composed in 144 AD, reflected these exact beliefs. You see, your first Christian Bible didn't contain anything called the Old Testament. And sharing a belief system and a God with the same group of people that killed Jesus was seen as heretical and delusional. And rightly so. In fact, the most banned religious book in the world reflects the thinking and beliefs of these pre-Nicene Christians. Now, as Christians, we're compelled to not only seek the truth, but to expose lies, false gospels, and Judaizers to the light, just as the Apostle Paul did at the Council of Jerusalem in 48 AD. And the best way to do that is with the firm theological footing of the very first Bible used by those pre-Nicene Christians. And you can get that at theveryfirstbible.org.org. And by the way, you'll also find a thriving and growing community within today's Marcionite Church at marcionitechurch.org. Given what you've now learned, does it help put the world and the satanic wave it's currently being engulfed by in a perspective that makes a little more sense? You see, the principles and their proxies haven't changed in over 2,000 years. Only your ability to recognize them for who and what they are is what changes. Remember, whether Jacob was wrestling Satan or a figment of his own imagination isn't really your concern. Just as it's not your concern as to what Allah says in the Quran or what Vishnu tells the Hindus. You're not a Judeo-Christian, and you're not an Islamo-Christian. Not your book, not your God. You're a Christian with your own God and your own Bible. Maybe you should start reading it. I'm Darren Kalama, and we'll see you next time on the thefirstbiblenetwork.com. You've been listening to Pre-Nicene Perspective. To learn more about the First Bible and the First Christians, visit theveryfirstbible.org.